in the world around us. So let's look at our passage. This is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, and follow in your order of worship, or you can just follow in your Bible. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren have borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down the shield and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to receive it, that you would give us hearts that would be quick to receive and in humility be ready to listen. For, Lord, we are people who need help seeing and understanding. We are people who need not only your forgiveness, but by your spirit to walk in new ways. And so, Lord, peace be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, as we look at this passage for the second week in a row, I want to focus on the second part, the, the kind of the middle and towards the end. And there's three parts to the sermon this morning. One is we're going to talk about what this vision is that Hannah has, to explore what she's actually praying. And then we're going to look at what it would mean for us to join in that prayer and how that can bring hope, but also challenge to us. So let's start by just asking, what is it that she is praying? What's actually going on? And what, the way for us to maybe to start that is I want to look at one of the most familiar or loved stories in the Bible. At least I know from my son Owen that is the case. It's the story of David and Goliath. It happens in 1 Samuel 17. And I imagine that many of you know this story. The story of the great giant Goliath who strikes fear in all who see him. And the boy David, too small to even wear armor, who only has a sling and five smooth stones. And the story goes that while David acknowledges the size and strength of Goliath, how he strikes fear into the soldiers around him, David is confident, even in the midst of Goliath's strength, that God is greater. That the Lord is greater than Goliath and that David will win the battle. And as you likely know, David does win. He does win. The boy with the sling strikes the giant with the stone, bringing Goliath to the ground, and David uses Goliath's own sword to cut off the giant's head. And there are many things we could take from this beautiful story, many things we could talk about. But one for sure is that humans 
are often limited and mistaken in our evaluation. That is one of the themes that runs throughout the story of David. That there is a fundamental problem or distortion in how we see things, put things together, and make our judgments. This theme is present in 1 Samuel throughout, but it also runs throughout Scripture. For example, we heard as David read from Jesus in the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are the economically impoverished, blessed are all you who are marginalized. As we hear those words, we need to stop and ask, are the hungry, are the poor really blessed? Yet Jesus says, yours is the kingdom. God has seen you. You are hungry now. You know need and neglect, but you will be filled. Those who weep, those who know pain and sorrow, you will laugh. You who are hated, rejected, excluded, yours is the kingdom of God. But the rich, the secure, the powerful, the connected, will come to know woe and loss. And what I want us to see is that in David's victory over Goliath, and the Beatitudes that Jesus speaks, that we are reminded that humans do not see clearly, especially around our assumptions about who we believe to be secure, who we believe to be successful, who we believe to be free of worry, or who we believe to have the favor of God upon them. The dynamic of Scripture that we see here in the unlikely boy David becoming victor over Goliath, or we hear in the Beatitudes, this dynamic in the scripture is called divine reversal. Divine reversal. And Hannah understands her experience as this divine reversal of God changing something. God's gift to her, to the barren one, to the mocked one, is God changing things and turning them upside down. And therefore, she celebrates Samuel not just as a joy of a child born to her, but as a sign, a picture of God changing things. And so in Hannah's prayer, this personal, intimate experience points beyond her. And we see this clearly as the prayer goes along. Beyond her to the hope and to the work of God as she celebrates her son, she invites us to see in this gift of Samuel the very nature of God and the nature of his kingdom. And as we, as we think about that, we try to understand this, maybe we can think about the Lord's Prayer. Part of the Lord's Prayer, we pray daily, we pray in an ongoing way that God's kingdom would come. God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. This transformation we know hasn't fully happened this longing, this prayer isn't complete. But there are moments that we see glimpses, moments in which we see God's kingdom breaking in. And Hannah's prayer is similar to this, that we see a prayer of longing to know God and God's ways, to rejoice in them and to long that they would break in, that God's reversals would begin to happen. And as those of us, you and me, who have a hard time judging rightly, we might ask, what does it actually look like when God's kingdom comes? What would it look like for these moments to break into the world? And Hannah's prayer centers 
on these reversals, on this turning upside down. You see how she prays, Lord, there is none like you. There's no rock like you. Who is this Lord? Who is this God who acts? The Lord is the one who breaks the bow of the mighty, the one who binds on strength to the feeble, the one who raises up the low and the fallen. Hannah's prayers, she expects and longs for Israel to be turned upside down, for an upheaval to take place. Those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. Another way to translate that, those who are hungry have become fat. They have become strong again. The barren, like Hannah herself, has borne seven children. That's a symbolic number of completeness. Those who felt empty have become made whole. The Lord can even bring reversal and change for those who know death. The Lord can deliver even from Sheol, the place of the shadows and of death. Do you see the changes? Do you see the, the sharpness of Hannah's language? We have to see it in order for us to grasp the significance of these words, that the, the, bow, the bows of the mighty aren't just put down, but they are broken. And those who are full now are hiring themselves out seeking bread. There's a reversal. The hungry are filled, and those who are full are now seeking a chance to be filled again. And so in light of this vision, this light of this prayer that Hannah offers before God, I want us to ask, what would it be like for us to join in? What would it be like for you and I, for us as a community, to pray this with her? And there's two things at least that we could talk about. One is it means hope for us if we join in the prayer. But the other is that it challenges us. Hope and challenge. As we think about hope, I can start with, there's a book I read recently called The Fall of Rome, and in one of the parts of this book, it talks about some of the celebrations that the Roman Empire would have, and one in particular stood out to me. There was a moment in which to show their dominance over the world that they arranged for the delivery of animals, ferocious animals from different continents to come to Rome. There was boars and bears from Europe, Leopards and lions from Africa, and elephants from India. There was a question about whether the actual elephant came from India or if it was just some, some parts of the elephant that made it on the... <laughs> and there was also a note that this, the soldiers really did not like having a caged lion on the boat with them from Africa. But they did it somehow, Rome, at least in the story goes, that they brought these creatures together to celebrate Rome's dominance, and they sacrificed each of these ferocious beasts to say that Rome had power over all the strength of the world. Now that might sound strange to us, but that was the world of the early church. And part of the wonder of hope is the question, is there anything else besides such a power as this? Rome can show what they can do. Is there anything else in my life? Is there any other power at work besides this empire? And in the midst of that question, in the midst of the, the longings and sorrows of people, as we think about hunger to fullness, maybe we can think of Jesus' words. And Jesus said that the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Why is such a language central to the gospel? The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. That Jesus himself 
as we think about hope in this prayer, that Jesus himself embodies the divine reversal. He embodies the divine reversal, that Jesus lowers himself and he is rejected by the leaders. He's mocked, he's excluded, he's crushed by those who have power. He's publicly despised as a criminal and a fool. He literally cries from the cross for water, that he is thirsty, that he longs simply for a drink of water. This one who is low, who was mocked, rejected, the one who was thirsty. He is put there by the fool and the strong. This one is the beloved son of God. God's verdict is, this is my son. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is God's verdict. He raises Jesus on the third day to new life and gives him the name above all names. You see, in Jesus, we encounter this reversal. The mighty are cast down. Those who are the leaders are shown to be blind and empty. While the lowly are seen and lifted up, sinners forgiven and welcomed and restored. To pray such a prayer as Hannah offers is one of hope. Those who are rejected by humans are being accepted by God. Hannah's prayer is one of hope because it is a chime for us to long for that reversal. To long for the reality that a person's status, your status, your circumstances, your condition, is not fixed or unchangeable. For the Lord is able to change it. They're not the final word. And you see how the prayer identifies the powers and forces at work, violence, hunger, barrenness, even death, and sets them in the context of our God. My identity, my possibilities, my future, my very life does not rest in my resources or the powers around me. They rest in God. The cast off, the forgotten, the overlooked are lifted up by God. This is a transformational hope, and it's summarized in the prayer that the Lord is the one who lifts up the needy from the ash heap. Think about that image for a moment. The ash heap, the rubbish heap outside of town. The place where things were cast off. Things that were to be forgotten, no more use, the trash. Those who know such an identity, those who have been cast off, God delights in taking them and lifting them to a place of honor, a seat with the princes. Who is our God? Hannah invites us to encounter the God who breaks the mighty and lifts up the feeble. And interestingly, Hannah expects that such work will happen through God's king. Part of the role of the leader of God's people is to bring about a kingdom, to invite a community in which joins God in lifting up those who have been forgotten. This is one of the places, earliest places in the Old Testament where the king and the anointed one, the Messiah, are mentioned together. That the one who leads God's people will be the one who is anointed by God's spirit to bring forth his kingdom in a new way. And this poetry of our prayer tells us that the coming king will be an agent of the poor, of the needy, the hungry, and the barren. And it points us to Jesus, the one who will be the anointed king, the despised one who becomes the great one. 
Therefore, we have hope. This morning, to hear this as you pray this prayer, that those of us who know the dust of misery, those of us who taste our own weakness or our own poverty, that in Christ we have been lifted up to the heavenly realms that God calls us sons and daughters. So this prayer is one of hope. And to join in Hannah, to say it ourselves, is to join in that hope that God is the one who changes things. But if we're honest, this prayer also presents a challenge to us. The sharpness of the language is a prayer of challenge to you and to me. Anyone who would join in saying it, it confronts us. See, the the creator, the one who sets the foundation, the pillars of the earth, is the one who took on flesh and walked among us. He's the one who said, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. I say those words because at Jesus' words, they embody this prayer, this reversal. As we think about what it would mean to join this and feel the challenge of the first being last and the last being first, I have a couple thoughts. We could spend a long time talking about the challenge of this, but, but one, that we're reminded that life is found in emptying ourselves. Life is found in emptying ourselves. You don't need me to tell you that we live in a culture of excess. A culture of excess where power is often equated with truth, where money becomes the measuring stick for pretty much everything. Your work, your time, your significance, your place. But the prayer that Hannah offers us and we see embodied in Jesus invites us to imagine life being found not in our excess or our money, but found in the love of God and the love of others. The thought about this prayer and its challenge, the first being last and the last being first, I thought of the the story in the Gospel of Luke where a Pharisee invites Jesus over to dinner invites him into his nice home. And Jesus sits at the Pharisee's table ready to enjoy his meal, and a woman in the town who was known as a sinful woman comes into the house. She comes with an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stands behind Jesus' feet, and she weeps. And she begins to wet his feet with her tears, and she wipes his feet with her hair, kissing them and pouring perfume on them. And when the Pharisee sees this happening, he says to him, he's he's astounded, he says to himself, this man, if he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman was touching him. Reminded that where your treasure is, there also is your heart. The Pharisee, the one who was first, his treasure was his rightness, his strength, his religious goodness, his being above others such as this woman. And that is where his heart was found. But while about this sinful woman, her treasure is the gracious love and the kindness of Jesus, one who would receive and welcome her, and her heart is given to him. The last has become first, and the first has become last. And for us to receive the goodness and the grace of Jesus We must empty ourselves of our status, of our goodness, of our fullness. That is the only way to receive the gift that he has for us. 
this prayer of Hannah, if we join it with our own mouth as, our own, as a community, we have to be challenged by our call to empty ourselves. There's another challenge as well, the second thought for us. Do you see how the full and the hungry are connected? There is something implied in our passage that the full now receive as their destiny the hunger they imposed on others. Do you hear that? Part of this reversal is the assumption that the full, those who have filled themselves, now receive as their destiny the hunger that they have imposed on others. The prayer implies that in a sinful, fallen world, one's fullness is connected to another's hunger. And so we have to ask in our striving, in our seeking after success, in our firstness, are we pushing others down? As I mentioned, we live in a culture of excess where more food, more money, more security, more things are always put before us in which we have to ask, how much is enough? How much is enough? The song doesn't just belong to Hannah, but belongs to all those who would feel their poverty, feel the sorrow and the pain of emptiness, of mockery and of longing. And Hannah's prayer is a prayer for God to shatter the strong and to lift up the weak. But when you and I, when we are full, we might not think much of such prayers. They might not feel present on our lips or our hearts. Earlier this month, I came across an article about Martin Luther King Jr. by a scholar named Greg Thompson. And he writes, Thompson writes about King's life, one of the most painful contradictions of King's life and work is that while he dreamed so much for America, he experienced so little of that dream for himself. This one who dreamed of a beloved community was broadly reviled. This one who dreamed of economic plenty died with little to his name. And this one who dreamed of nonviolence died from a gunshot to his face. Part of thinking about Hannah's prayer and joining it ourselves is to acknowledge that today we have neighbors in our city who are outside and who are excluded and who are empty. James Baldwin, in his essays exploring race and the history of the United States, one of the things I appreciate consistently in his writing is that he points out that we always want to talk about progress that we've made or point fingers at who's at fault or what's been done in the past. But he wants us to ask the question, how have such racist practice, how have such practices of exclusion, what do they say about us? What do they say about a nation or a people who practice them? Of course, he's asking that question, what does it say about us? Because he wants us to consider our own sin, our own selfishness, our own commit commitment to getting what we want. So I'm asking, what does it look like for a community, for us to pray this prayer? Well, surely it means seeing ourselves and our neighbors and, yes, even our enemies as creatures made by God. It means seeing one another as bearers of glory, glory that demands both honor and protection. It means seeing one another's pain and one another's wounds as real and as true. It means seeing one another's possibilities 
and hoping for the best? What does it mean for a community to pray this prayer? Well, such a vision that we see in the person of Jesus means it requires love and sacrifice and emptying of ourselves. For in this prayer, we are invited to the hope of God, but we're also invited to join him in the kingdom work of helping those who have fallen be lifted up and those who are hungry be filled. In Luke 6, when Jesus was saying the Beatitudes, offering woe to the rich and hope to the empty, he ends by asking, I declare these things to you who are listening, to you who hear, implying the question is, are we hearing? As we pray this prayer of Hannah, as we hear these words, are we listening? Is it possible that these cannot just be things on our lips, but words of our hearts, that we may join with God in his hope, but in his kingdom work in this city and in this world? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word that speaks both hope and challenge to us. We thank you that you're a God that sees those who have been forgotten a God who delights in being identified with the orphan and the widow, the marginalized. We pray, Lord, that we ourselves would know what it means to be lifted up by Christ, to find our rest in you, and that also, Lord, that you'd move us, that we may love our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray.
Lord God, you are a refuge. There is no good apart from you, and the sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. Therefore, we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Please be seated. Well, having heard God's word, we're now invited to come to the table that God sets for his people. This table is something we can see and hold and taste that speak of God's kingdom, God's work for you. In Deuteronomy, <clears throat> Deuteronomy 10, excuse me, it says, The Lord your God, to him belongs the heavens and the earth, and all that is in them. The Lord your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, who loves the traveler and the wanderer, who gives him food and clothing, who releases the prisoner and gives the lonely a home. Our God, the great and powerful one, the creator of all things, has an eye for those that others might overlook or forget. This table proclaims the same message, this message of reversal, that God welcomes in sinners, God lifts up the fallen through the broken body and shed blood of his son. Not through our promises or things we've done in the past or promised to do in the future, but by God's action for us, entering into our feebleness to give us his strength. So I pray that as you come this morning that you do so in faith and repentance. Scripture tells us to examine ourselves, that we may come and examine the hope that we have, that maybe in Christ we find again hope in the midst of our sorrows, or that we examine ourselves and feel the challenge of God's word, wondering if we share his interest in those that others overlook. If you know of your sin and have faith in Christ, then come eat and drink. If you know of your place in Christ, come and be treated and received at God's table. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God that is not only great and powerful, but has displayed your power by coming near to those who are brokenhearted, those who have fallen, those who are overwhelmed with shame and sin. Lord, let us come and know again your forgiveness and your rest, and let us go out as people with eyes to see that we may offer your goodness to those around us, especially those who have fallen themselves. I pray that you set apart these elements for sacred and holy use, that we, as we come in faith, will meet you by your spirit, that you'll lift us up. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> 